John chapter 8, verse number 12. We read that this morning. It says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You can be seated. Lord, thank you for this day. Again, Lord, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for lines of beer tonight. I want to pray up in the service. I want to pray up those that are still traveling, travel, travel in the situation there, Kowak. I want to pray you help them keep them safe in Jesus' name. Amen. We stop this morning there in verse number 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that it does. And God's still saving in the saving business, as we just talked about. Amen. I'm glad God's in control and not us. Aren't you thankful for that? Yeah. I'm glad he's in control and not me, because we'd be in a big mess if I was in control. But we closed out that message earlier on, this morning on that point. And that's where I'm going to pick up tonight. I'm not going to spend a ton of time, ton of time on review. We're all here this morning. We have a lot of ground to cover, as I said, so let's get right into it here. With Lord Tongue Preachers, a few minutes tonight on this thought, that's my Jesus. This morning we close out with Jesus and his word, and I'm going to go back to that and add some more in there. Now when we see Jesus and his word, again, we see in verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We started into this point this morning. We looked at Jesus' identification with his Father. He identifies with his Father and through his word there in the preceding verses. But now in verse number 33 and the following verses, we see the Jews' identification with their father Abraham. They're trying to identify with their father Abraham. Jesus is going to dig deeper into that here. Jesus proclaims that great truth in verse 32, and these Jews are not happy about it. Yet again, imagine that. They immediately spout off at the mouth, and they are completely and totally in the wrong. He says, and you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be in Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? You realize what these arrogant Jews have just had the nerve to stand in front of Jesus and say, we were never in bondage to any man. Think about that. The Jews, the Israelites, that we've never been in bondage to any man. Seriously, these Jews have just stood there in Jesus' face and lied Ever since the, their brothers, the brother, Israelite brothers went down to Egypt to live with Joseph during the famine, Israel in the Old Testament has constantly been in and out of bondage over and over and over again. Look at in, in bondage to Egypt and Palestine and Persia and always, always somebody else. Look at the book of Judges. In bondage again, out of bondage again, over and over and over again. In fact, at this very moment in time when they're talking to Jesus, they are in bondage to the Romans. He said, we've never been in bondage to any man. We don't, we don't need you to make us free. Jesus just completely ignores it. He doesn't respond with one time to their lie here. Why? Because that's not the bondage he's talking about anyway. It's in verse 34. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He ignores the bondage they are talking about politically because he's trying to deal with the bondage of sin in their heart. He says, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. You are in bondage whether you want to admit it or not. Even if you get freedom in this earth, you're still in bondage to sin without me. That means every one of us today without Jesus are in bondage to sin. Now, thanks be to God, if you're saved, you're no longer in bondage. If you're not, you might as well be in chains and shackles here tonight because you are in bondage to sin. Whether you're in bondage to a man or not, you are in bondage to sin. Verse 35, we see the fate of a slave. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, he says. If you're a slave, the servant he's talking about there, you have no rights to anything. Your preference does not matter. You don't get to decide where you want to live and what you want to do. If you're a slave, you do what your master tells you to do. 
when you're a slave to sin, your life is full of sin. You can try to be good. You can attempt to live right and do right, but that sin is still hanging on to you, hanging over your head. You can't get away from it. No matter what you do, you cannot remove the sin yourself. You're going to be a slave to sin. You can't get rid of it on your own. No matter if you try to be perfect, you're still a sinner, and there's nothing you can do about it. But if you believe in the Son, it says the Son abideth ever. It's never going away. You can have rest and peace and hope by being made free indeed by Jesus Christ. He says, I can make you free indeed. No sin debt to carry, no punishment looming over your head. Free and free indeed. Amen. Thank you for that. Aren't you thankful that the wonderful, or for the wonderful grace of Jesus we sang about this morning? It shall make you free indeed. If you're saved tonight, you don't have to be worried about, carry, about being carried off by another master as a slave would be. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, if it is Jesus that's doing the saving, he's the only one that can. If he's the one doing the saving, you shall be free indeed, and the Son abideth ever, never going away. Jesus begins to deal with their blindness. They're still claiming Abraham is their father. Verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen him with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. The answer said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, we, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus agrees partially with them. He says, I know that you're Abraham's seed. And they were. They were physically earthly descendants of Abraham. They were Hebrews. And yet God said, yes, you are. He says, I realize that, but ye seek to kill me. Why? Because my word hath no place in you, he says. There's no place of belief in, of Jesus or belief in his word inside of them. They do not believe in him. They have no place for Jesus. He goes back to his father again. He says, I speak that which I have seen in my father. Notice that with, the, with my father. He's been there. He said, notice with my father, not of my father, not from him. With him. The word was with God and the word was God. You do that which you have seen with your father. He says, I was with my father and you do the things which you've seen with your father. Now, these folks are still claiming Abraham. Jesus has proven to them otherwise. Jesus says in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You claim to be these righteous Abraham Israelites. If you were that, if you were of Abraham's children, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing to me. If you, claim to, if you claim so much to be Abraham's children, you ought to act like is what he's saying. Look at verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did no Abraham. What does it say over in James? Abraham was a friend of God. He says in verse 40, you do the deeds of your father. What is he saying here? He says, I know you were born of Abraham's seed, but you are not Abraham's children. You're not acting like Abraham. If you were the children of Abraham, you wouldn't be trying to kill me like you're doing right now. You do the deeds of your father. Well, if Abraham is not their father, and God the Father is not their father, who's their father? Exactly. He's leaving no doubt who, he, who their father is. They know it. They can feel it coming. They know what he's saying. And they're getting angry about it. They said, then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now they're getting defensive, starting to point blame again. Earlier they were calling him a liar. Now they're just calling him mean names. Here are you, Jesus, to tell us our, who our Father is. God is our Father. Jesus already told them that if, they were the, if that was the case, they would know him. If God was the Father, you would know me. God the Father is not your Father. If he was, they would have no problem with Jesus. He says, God's not your Father. Abraham is not your Father. You do the deeds of your Father. We see their blasphemy, their accusation. 
They've already questioned who Jesus was, who Jesus' father was. Now they're saying he's born of fornication. Probably a jab back at Joseph and Mary, where, as we know, he was born of a virgin, but no doubt the claim there was that he was born of fornication. They blaspheme God and call him an illegitimate child. By the way, I don't think there is any, no such thing as an illegitimate child. A lot of illegitimate parents, no children. Parent, it, ain't the parent, it ain't the child's fault. But anyway, they jab at his birth. They have no idea what they're doing. They're ignorantly, because, ignorant because of unbelief, ignorantly blaspheming Jesus' name. It's not something to take lightly. Jesus isn't going to take it lightly. Jesus, again, ignores the personal attack. There's a lot there for us to learn. The character of Jesus, they are constantly doing him wrong, and all, all he does, he just gives them the truth. He ignores the personal attack. That's a lot to learn. The forgiveness talked about in Sunday school. One example for us right here, verse 42. And said, Jesus, them, if, ye, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came out of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Year of your father, the devil. In case you didn't get it the first time, you are the father of the devil. And the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but here Jesus again says, God is not your father. Trying to get that through their heads. He says, you are not who you claim to be. They're claiming that. He keeps telling them it's not so. If God was your father, you would love me. If Abraham was your father, you would love me. Again, I don't know. I should have counted, but I don't know how many times in this gospel so far, he's told these Jews exactly this phrase right here. Neither came out of myself, but he sent me. Over and over and over again, he says, he sent me. I'm from the father. The father asked him, he come to the father's will. I'm of the father. They're not understanding. They're not listening or grasping this. Over and over again, he tells them it. He's proving his point. Why do you not understand my speech? He says in verse 43, even because you cannot hear my word. Why? Because they won't believe in the name of Jesus. They don't understand because they don't believe in who Jesus is. We talked about this morning. They don't understand. They don't hear. They aren't listening because, in fact, they are not sons of God. They are not saved and not understanding what Jesus is talking about here. They have no spiritual discernment because they're lost. Sons of the devil, he says. Let me get to the real meat of it there. The real problem, verse 44. You're of your father, the devil. Unless your father, you will do. He says, all you're, do, all you're doing is falling after the deeds of your father. He's full of lust, so are you. He's a murderer, so are you. He's a liar, so are you. Y'all think I'm mean. He says, I tell you the truth, and you believe me not. Why? Because their father is the devil. These are not just lost men. They're, in fact, children of the devil. Strong accusation. Jesus talks about this over in Matthew with his parable of the wheat and the, cha- wheat and the tares. Go ahead and turn there. Hold your place here. Matthew chapter 13. This is in Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? For whence then hath it tares? 
He said to him, An enemy hath done this. The servant said to him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? You say, Nay, lest while we while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. For every good work that God does, Satan has men, he has tares, he has planted in trying to root the wheat up. He has counterfeits, wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what he's talking about here with these Jews. That's what he's, that's what he's calling these Jews, these sons of the devil, children of the devil. One author had this to say about it. He says, wherever the divine sower goes, planting his children in the world, Satan goes planting his counterfeits. Usually they are religious leaders, masters of deceit, spiritually begotten of the devil, sowers of apostasy, enemies of the gospel, disguised to look good like good people, at least to the spiritually undiscerning. That's what Jesus is calling these men here. I wouldn't call somebody that. I don't know anybody's heart. That's a powerful accusation. That's what Jesus is calling these Jews here. And he can do it because he knows the truth. He knows their hearts. I don't know a man's heart, but Jesus does. I don't know anyone except my own heart. That's why God does the separating, not man. You can read more about that over in Second Peter and Second Timothy and Jude over and over again. The tares among the wheat, the wolves among sheep's clothing. Those are what these men here are. They're going against Jesus. That's what they are. Their sole purpose was to try and stop Jesus and what he's doing. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Amen. They could not stop him. These wicked men, the sons of Satan, as God has called them, are doing everything they can to stop the work of Jesus Christ, but there's not a thing they can do about it. Even in the midst of their arguing, people are believing on him and getting saved. They can't do a thing about it. Amen. These wicked men, sons of Satan, can't do a thing about it. This morning we saw Jesus and his witness, Jesus and his world, and we just finished out Jesus and his word. We're going to close out the rest of this chapter with this thought, with Jesus and his walk. We see two things here, a sinlessness and a sonship. Number one is sinlessness, verse 46. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. He says, what do you convince me of sin? That means to convict of sin. He says, go look at my life. Go look at your law, all 613 commandments. He says, you look at every one of them. You look at every prophet, every book, every line, every word spoken. You look at every bit of my life, Jesus says, from the birth of Bethlehem to his current state there in Jerusalem. He says, you look at every bit of life, every person I've taught. You go through and look at everything. Who convinceth me of sin? In the midst of these people are trying to kill him. I don't know of anybody else that would put that on the line. Jesus can. Because he's perfect. He says, my life has no sin. And if I say the truth, why do you not believe? There's no reason for you to not believe me. He says, I am truth. I am, that's all I've done is tell you the truth. He says, I'm the truth. Look at my life. Look at my walk. Look where I've been. He doesn't need those witnesses he spoke about this morning. His life is witness enough. Look at his testimony. He is a definition of blameless. He's perfect because he's God. He answers a question in the next verse. He that is of God heareth God's word. You don't hear them because you're not of God. Plain and simple. There's a problem. Like I said this morning, you've got, got to start with the believing in Jesus. Nothing else will make any sense if you can't grasp the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the only hope of eternal life. Plain and simple, they were lost and they were on their way to a place called hell. And their belief in Him was the reason, their unbelief in Him was the reason they were not grasping the fact of what He was giving them, that He was the very Son of God. They couldn't understand, they couldn't grasp it. Why? Because they were lost. Because I'm children of the devil. They don't believe. Verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said to him, Say we not 
well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? <laughs> this is the only thing they supposedly have to pin on him. They call him a Samaritan. This is their attempt to prove that he's a sinner. You know, oh, you're just a Samaritan. <laughs> Why are they saying this? Because he went through Samaria. We talked about that. And no self-respecting Jew would ever step foot in Samaria if they were not a Samaritan, except Jesus. So surely he's a Samaritan. In that case, he's a sinner in their eyes. That's what they're trying to say here. That's their logic here. But of course, it's flawed. He also again accused them of having a devil. Says, and they did that again. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I have not a devil. He just ignores the Samaritan thing again. I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory, but there is one that seeketh and judgeth. He answered again, stating again, they are not telling the truth. He says, I have not a devil. Again, he ignores the personal attack. He just ignores the whole Samaritan accusation because it's not even part of the equation. It has nothing to do with anything. He's going there because there's people that were going to believe. A crowd's going to believe, so he went there. Nothing to do with what we're talking about here. He's God. It doesn't matter where they think he's supposedly from or what he's doing. He's God. He went to Samaria because he had people to reach there. He says, I seek not my own glory. There's one that seeketh and judges. Who is that? God the Father. He says, I'm not out to prove anything to you. I don't care if you think I'm a Samaritan or not. I'm not trying to prove anything to you. I don't have to prove anything to you. I'm not seeking my own glory. What is he doing here then? He's simply giving the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all he's doing. The truth that he is the only hope of eternal life. That's all he's doing. He ignores the personal attacks over and over and over. He's just giving the truth. There are many today that are out for one thing, and it's not to give the gospel, out to seek their own glory. Be careful of those. Watch out for those. We see his sinlessness. He says, I don't need you to honor me. He says, You're not honoring me. I'm not here to get honor from I'm not here to get glory from you. I'm not here to give glory to myself. He just gives him the truth. He's sinlessness. He's perfect. We see his sonship, who he came from. We see God's power over the tomb and over time. Verse 51. John 8, 51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. And this is the Jews unto him. Now we know that thou hast the devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest to the man, Keep my saying, ye shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who make, whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me. Of him you say that he is your God. So the one you think, you one you're claiming to be your God, he's the one that honors me. Watch out for those verily, verily. I talked about that before. Verse 51, verily, verily, I say unto you, Watch out for that. If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death, Jesus says. What is that? The promise of eternal life in heaven. Doesn't mean we won't die. Good men and women, and these Jews here don't understand that, saved men and women die. They have throughout time. They die. That's a fact of life. It means we don't have to taste of death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The grave is not a sad place for a Christian. It's a promise. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We don't have to taste of death. I read a story about a, a preacher and his, his evangelistic campaign on the, in Jamaica. One day there was a storm off the sea, off the coast there of the island they were preaching on. And in that storm, there was a ship that was caught in the storm and it was in distress. And the ship had sent out an SOS signal to the land trying to get help. And just as the sun was going down, they pushed out a boat, a lifeboat onto the, off the beach trying to get to save these people. Went off into the dark. And the story went on that the night fell, and all, all the night long the people waited there in the tent waiting for the answer on whether those, the ship, people in the ship were okay or not. They never saw anybody come back to shore. It was dark. 
The next morning, the preacher went into town to try to get some answers. says there was a boy on the corner selling newspapers. Right on the front page is one word, saved. The preacher asked the boy, he pointed to the word saved, and he said, what does this mean? The boy looked at him and said, mister, he means those people never die. If you're saved tonight, you don't have to taste of death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a promise given from Jesus Christ right here. If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. He may die unless the Lord comes back before him. Some didn't have to. I looked at Elijah and Enoch. Some didn't have to. And if the Lord comes back in the rapture, we don't have to. Amen. Looking forward to that. But some of us might have to, and some have. You don't have to see death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a promise. For a man to make that statement like this, there's only two options. Either he is certifiably insane or he's telling the truth. <laughs> and he's Jesus, and he's telling the truth. These Jews are sticking with the first one. They said, oh, come on now, what are you talking about? Now, we know you have a devil. Now, Abraham is dead, the prophets are dead, and thou say, if the man keep my saying, you shall never see death. What are you talking about? They said, who do you think you are? Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? Who makest thou thyself? Who do you think you are? There they go again, thinking he's doing anything by himself. He's already told him multiple times, everything he does is of the father. Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing as my Father honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. He said, God, as you claim, he's the one that's honoring me. What a God we serve. God the Father, God honors God the Son. We see his sonship is proven with his power over the tomb. He can conquer the grave he has for us. He saw death so we wouldn't have to. If we're absent from this life, that means we're present with him in heaven. If we're saved, that's amen. Thank the Lord for that. He said in verse 55, yet ye have not known him, but I do. Jesus is not cutting them any slack. He called them the children of Satan. He's called them murderers. And right here in this verse 55, he said, if I, if I said I didn't know him, I'd be a liar just like you. Verse 55, yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. It's a powerful statement. See his power of the tomb. Lastly, we see his power over time. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus makes a statement here that's powerful, and we really don't know all the answers to it. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced. That means to leap for joy, jump up and turn around, leap for joy to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. He says, this, this Father Abraham, you, you're claiming, he saw me and he's seen me. And he was filled with joy because of it. Now, when did Abraham see that day? Maybe it was in heaven. We really don't know. Maybe it was a vision like Paul had. Maybe it was a, there was Melchizedek. Maybe it was with those angels outside of Sodom. Maybe it was when God made the promise to him of his seed. We really don't know. Maybe it was in heaven. But Jesus said it, so I believe it. He saw, that's what Jesus says right here, God made himself real to Abraham so much so that Abraham saw Jesus' as ministry, saw him this day, he says, and rejoiced over it. He jumped for joy. The Jews just get angry about that like they do with everything else. He says, he can't say anything without angering them. They said, you aren't even old enough. You aren't even 50 years old, and you think you've seen Abraham. And we get another one of those I am's like we talked about this morning. He says, verily, verily, pay attention to those. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He was, he is, and he always will be. 
that I am. That's always present tense. It means he was there. It's now present tense with Moses, present tense with Abraham, present tense today, and present tense one day in the future. We're in heaven with him. The same I am as the light of the world. We saw in the beginning of the chapter, the same I am as there in the Old Testament. He says, I am the I am. The name of God is reverent. This name of God is reverence more than any others amongst the Jews. This I am. I read a little bit about that. It says, to these Jews, it was the greatest name that was to be treated with utmost respect. It has been said that, I read that when a scribe was writing, if he came to this name, he would put down his pen and pick up a freshman just to write, I am, and put it back down. It says, I read that if they were reading in the synagogue and they came to this name, I am, they would all bow their head and worship, and nobody would say it. They just knew what was going on. Then Jesus stands up in front of all of them and says, after he's already made them angry by simply giving them the truth, he tops it off one last big truth. He says, before Abraham was, I am. That's them over the edge. Think about this. These, these folks, they've never uttered the phrase, I'm not, not supposed to utter the phrase, I am, because it was so holy. So they've never said it before. They've never heard the phrase, I am, because nobody else is supposed to say it either. They've only read it. They've never read it out loud. And the first time they've heard it spoken out is from the mouth of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful Jesus was the first one to speak it in their ears, and he's the one. He is the I am. What an honor to get to hear that. They didn't take it that way. Verse 59, then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out, from the, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. These people get stones. They're playing to stone Jesus to death because of his statement, because what they, they think is blasphemy, but in fact, it's just the truth. What does he do? Says he hits himself, he's going through the midst of them, and so passed by. He just walked right out between them. Nothing they could do about it. How do you do that? Because his, his time has not yet come. The same judgment they presented him with in the beginning of this chapter were there with a woman, attempting to get him to do it, call her into judgment. Now they're giving him the same, attempting to give him the same judgment. These men, after all these questions, after all these accusations, and it ended with their, it ended with their unbelief and attempted murder of the Son of God. They, have, they asked questions they didn't want the answers to. They only wanted to argue. They asked, where is thy father? Verse 19. They asked, who art thou? Verse 25. They said, will he kill himself? Verse 22. They said, who makest thou thyself? Verse 53. They called him a liar in verse 13. They called him an illegitimate son in verse 41. They called him a Samaritan in verse 48. They called him a demoniac in verse 48 and 52. Then they attempted his murder in verse 59, all in the name of their religion. And who are these men? We have no idea. Their names are not recorded. We don't know anything about what happened the rest of their life. We don't know what happened after this time. We don't know anything about them or their families. But Jesus, on the other hand, I know him personally. And if you're saved tonight, you know him too. No amount of questions or accusations or lies or attempted murders on my Savior could change the fact that he was on earth to die and rise again to wash away my debt of sin. Nothing could change it. There was no stopping him. Aren't you thankful that despite of all that Satan tried to do to stop Jesus and these counterfeits he had put in place to try to stop Jesus, it was to no avail. Even in the midst of all of these, people were believing on Jesus Christ. Satan can't stop Jesus. He can try. He has tried since before man to overthrow Jesus, but there's nothing in the world he can do if God doesn't allow it to happen. And God's time has not yet come. And that's the God we serve, church. He's the I am, same I am. He was present then. He's present now. 
It's the same God we serve. As a God that saved your soul, if you're saved, as a God you can have a personal relationship with, Satan can't stop him. We don't deserve one bit of him, but he gave us his all. I'm tired of that's my Jesus. Barely, barely I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And he still is today. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for already done for us. Lord, thank you for to be here tonight. Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you for being willing to save somebody like me. Lord, I don't deserve it. None of us do. Lord, thank you for already done for us. Thank you for being good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We talked about before service. So next Sunday, we're going to change the meeting time to 4 o'clock. The best time. I didn't want to do it after morning service if we have visitors. Um, so 4 o'clock, that should give us enough time. And um, before dark. And then...